you actually had to let go of your illusion of control. Oh, totally. You know, because if you're rowing, you think you're controlling it, but it's just an illusion because you're actually not, you can row all you want, but you're not controlling anything, you're making it worse. So that's actually an illusion of control. Yeah. And putting down the oars is probably why none of us do it uh, early and why we tend to go longer than we should is it's actually the scariest part. It's not the storm, it's the solution. Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo. Campus pastor at Conduit Church joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And it feels good to be you know, do consecutive weeks. Two in a row. <laughs> we're dominating right now. After taking a few weeks off, we're getting back into rhythm and probably a heads up maybe in December after Christmas. We'll see what our schedule's looking like. We might take a week off. We'll 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 dive into the calendar. But for now, we've got some things to discuss. Specifically, um John chapter six. Like I don't I'm trying to remember how many chapters in the book of John? Is it 28. Now, it's funny you ask me that. Is it 20, 21, 22. 21, 22. And we started in August. Uh, we had this grand goal to perhaps be done with the book of John by Easter. I mean, it's kind of a reasonable, it's like like two semesters, right? Like a fall semester and a spring semester. <laughs> like we'll be done by Easter and wrap it up. But uh, at this pace, who knows? We may be talking about the end of John a year from now. Yeah, I mean... Should the Lord tarry? You know. <laughs> right. But that's okay because we're going verse by verse and we're, yeah. we're learning a lot. We are in the middle of John chapter 6 through the Believe series, which is kind of the main takeaway that John is writing here yeah. that we would believe. Specifically verses 16 through 21 in this Sunday, this past Sunday's teaching, um, you titled, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, which is obviously a little children's song reference. Yeah. Um, it's what was happening with the disciples and Jesus, which, you know, kind of had me thinking, like, when was the last time, when was the last time you were rowing a boat? Any kind of boat. June, 2022. Okay. So a few months ago. Wyoming on a uh, trout lake in Wyoming. Trout lake, rowing a boat. I was rowing a kayak. We did a little kayak run down the Duck River over the summer. Might've been like August. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh, a little steamy. Oh, dude, it was so hot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing about Tennessee. Oh, it's man. unforgiving. And most places you get into the water, like where I grew up, because what lack of humidity, if it was hot, you got on a river, you could at least catch some coolness from the water. Not in Tennessee. <laughs> no. No, but we did make a couple good decisions. One, we went super early. Like, we were the first ones out, mm. and uh, which was great because it's still cool. But, man, by, like, hour three, three or whatever it was, two and a half. I mean, the sun is just... Baking you. Oh, it was yeah. rough. Who was it? Is your family? It was just Jennifer and I. Oh. Taking a little stroll this down is, the th- Duck River. Is this what empty nesters do? <laughs> this is what empty nesters uh, get into the river. And it was wild, man. I, I just hadn't seen that much wildlife. I don't know. Maybe I didn't need to get out more. But it was like <laughs> <laughs> there was a beaver that swam across me, like yeah. across the river. We saw... <laughs> turtle doing the same thing and 
fish jumping out and oh. it was it was it was fun yeah. it was cool yeah so there's there's rowing with a kayak there's rowing but you're going with if I, normally how they do these you're going sure. with the current so going it's with the current a little easier go with the flow yeah easier than what these guys were doing in John 6 which is rowing across a large body of water yeah and rowing together like the image that I had up until my first trip to Israel was of, I don't know, like the SS Minnow. I don't know what I thought, how this stuff worked. They didn't have a like, mo- engine. Like the size of the boat. Y- yeah, Trying yeah. to understand like, okay, what's the scale of the yeah. actual boat that yeah. they use? And it, man, they're not. They were like um, like Viking boats, but without the dragon. And it was team rowing. Like they're all rowing. Wow. Together, like it's not like someone in the middle, like with me in the Trout Lake. I'm, it's me in the the middle seat rowing, and I've got my son-in-law and my son uh, front and back, you know, fishing. Um, but you know, that was a big lesson for me on how hard it is to row into the wind. Like the wind had come up out of nowhere, and it's kind of a waste of time to fish when there's a, a big wind on on the water, and. Also a waste of time to row into the wind. Like I, I just, we we're trying to get back to the shore. And I mean, it took everything in me to row and we weren't getting anywhere because the wind was blowing us. Now I was on that trip. I wasn't, I was in Wyoming with you on that same, same weekend. Yep. I wasn't on that boat, but I remember the wind blowing so hard and trying to fish and, and, and watching you ma- master fishing in the wind. So what Darren did and what we all learned is that first of all, this man can fish. Like you, you know how to catch some fish. I, you figured it out. Well, we used to call it grocery shopping. <laughs> like, yeah, it's lunch and dinner. <laughs> yeah, this idea of putting the fish away when you're done, like back in yeah, the throwing fun, it back. Like what? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, you don't have to. We didn't have to buy that with food stamps. We actually could eat that. You know? So if you've never fly fished, I mean, you, you got to be casting with the wind. If you're ca- not casting with the wind, it, it, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's pointless. Mm-hmm. It's an exercise in futility. You know, sp- spitting in the wind. Peeing in the wind and <laughs> casting in the wind, right. you know. So you had found this spot on this lake that was right behind a couple of large evergreen trees that blocked the wind. So just imagine the these trees serving serving as a um, like a barrier or a buffing of the wind, and so the wind's going around you, and so you found this little spot in the pond or the lake. Yeah. That was pretty still, and you were just pulling them out like crazy. And the rest of us are kind of like on the sides, just not catching anything, and our stuff's getting all tangled, and there's a mess. We're losing bait left and right. <laughs> but you're over there just pull, pulling out a fish about every five minutes, and we were all really frustrated. Yeah, I, I am sorry about that. Because <laughs> you set up shop, and you weren't moving. I mean, you had the spot. Yeah. Like, why would you move? Yeah, and the other thing about that spot is that's where – a freshwater spring comes into the lake. (laughs) And so it's a prime feeding spot. So you could cast there. There was going to be fish there. uh, And yeah, I mean, it was a good day. It was a good day, actually. And that day, actually, on the boat, I actually felt so bad that my son and my son-in-law hadn't. I was like, (laughs) I got to get you out on the lake here. We're going to find some fish. And and actually, my son-in-law, who has quite a bit of experience fishing, was getting skunked, and my son, who has 
maybe some experience fishing, for whatever reason, was just slaying it. Like, he was pulling them out right and left in the same boat. And we're not talking, this is not a large boat. They're essentially casting in the same spot, and it could not be because of skill. Oh, it's genetics. It's it like was, his dad. Uh, maybe there's a genetic thing. I don't know, but he was just slaying it. I'm like, ah, oh, proud of you, buddy. Look, I just looked around and told everybody, I, I'm, fish, I'm a fisher of men, <laughs> not a fish, because <laughs> this is ridiculous. So literally at one point, I put my rod down and uh, just, just sat down, laid back, put my arms back, and just watched you catch them, because that was way more entertaining <laughs> than whatever I was trying to do. Well, these guys in John 6 actually had a ton of experience on this lake because three of them, maybe four, right? That's what they did for a job was fish, not with a rod and reel, but with nets. And it's mm-hmm. actually pretty impressive to watch those who still like, when you go to Uganda, um, there's a tribe of people along the Nile River that still fish the same way they've been fishing for centuries. Yeah, because it works. Yeah, little little rowboat, get around the crocodiles, throw the, you know, throw the net on the water. And so these guys were... In John 6, they knew the water. They knew the territory. They knew how to get across. They knew how to row. Um, and, yeah, they set out on this lake that night. And at Jesus' command, go back across. And it helped me to really think through, like, what they had actually when – you, when you factor in the, the previous 24 to 36 hours with them, they, I don't know that they'd been to sleep yet. Oh, wow. Like they had – this was at night, so they'd already been up most of the night. And after that, they get over there. They're feeding 5,000 people. And then after that, get in the boat and go across the other way. So I don't know. if. And by the way, now they're rowing all night long. So this is an all-nighter for them. Yeah, they're pulling an all-nighter. I mean Mm -hmm. the only – the last time I had an all-nighter was when I was doing youth ministry. (laughs) And those are brutal. Oh, yeah. I Look, when I see Joel and Michaela doing lock-ins, God bless them. <laughs> uh, those days are long gone for me. This would have been like a lock-in with a boat. Oh, man. Like trapped in the boat, rowing all night. And so they're heading across the sea. And um, we're again, we're in John 6 here. If you haven't listened to the teaching, go back and listen to the teaching from this past Sunday. And um, when the evening came, his disciples went down, verse 16, to the lake, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now, when they're going across the lake, what kind of, what kind of distance are we talking here? Like what? Depending on what part of the lake, but as best we know, it would have been about a six to eight miles across. A two-hour trip. Okay. In Decent water, a two-hour trip. And a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. So a little storm whips up. And I think we've talked about this before, but, I mean, you've been there. So the geography of the land, I mean, it's kind of set in, in the mountains a bit, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so surrounded storms, by 2,000-foot peaks. So storms can just whip up. Wind can just come up over the mountains. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that is, to me was important because it really jumped out at me as we were going through it over the week, like it doesn't actually say storm. You know, that's true. Any of the Mark's, uh, Mark six, Matthew 14 or John six, it just says a strong wind blew. And like, even this morning in our, you know, where our building is, there are days where 
it, it is stormy, but there's days just where the wind comes up because there's nothing to stop it. And that's apparently what happened here. They were not in a storm uh, that was like lightning and thunder. and Because the truth is, is, if it was one of those, it would have blown right over and have been gone an hour and they'd have been able to, you know, whatever, make it the other side, a couple hours. You know, storms don't last for eight hours. But a strong wind coming down off of a mountain into a valley, that can last for days. And that's what they were in. So you likened this to, you know, kind of our daily lives, our, our spiritual lives of, of rowing in the wind, which can look a lot like worry and anxiety and you're doing a lot of doing a lot of moving and not getting anywhere. Um, the the visual of a duck on the pond is yeah. super still on top and and um, seemingly super still. But underneath, I mean, his legs are just going at it. Right. Right. Cranking, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were. This should have been a two-hour trip, and when the, you see the math, even when Jesus finally went to them, um, it says right before sunrise, I think in Matthew's version, and they left at sundown. So, easily seven hours for a two-hour trip. Oh my word! And we know that I think from Matthew's version that they were two, maybe three miles across. So they were maybe halfway there. Uh, it's seven hours in. That sounds like a rush hour in Nashville. It does now, right? <laughs> Trying to get through town. <laughs> sounds like cool springs. Dude, <laughs> I've had to remind myself that, so, so for you new people in Nashville, especially especially Franklin, for the longest time, the you know cool springs, we would try to avoid in Christmas season. Oh, 100%. Yeah, just don't go there. Don't get near the mall. Crazy. My, I used to have an office off a of seaboard, and it was like, oh, we knew some back roads, but... But now, because our population seemingly has doubled in the last year, two years, whatever, I don't like to go to Cool Springs ever now because it's like Christmas traffic every day. <laughs> Takes hours to get, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. Like these guys are, this is their version of a traffic jam, but it's just wind, a wind jam. And, you know, there's no technology of a, of a motor. And I, for me, like what really jumped out was, they are rowing. They've already been in a place where uh, Jesus had fed 5,000 people. They had been in a boat where Jesus had calmed an actual storm, Mark chapter 4. And there's no mention of these guys praying. Like at some point, five hours in, man, guys, let's pray. Let's let's see if we could call for Jesus. Let's <laughs> Nothing. Um and I don't know, it just, that really resonated because I don't, I'm better at it at 51 than I was at 50, <laughs> better than 49. I tend to spin up all the scenarios in my mind of what could go right or wrong. What's the worst that could happen? Could I survive if that's, and to me, that is, that's the rowing for me. It's the the imaginations that are exhausting and you know i don't know how your imaginations work but you know 90 95% of the time it's it's not only not what i imagine like it's not even close like it's not even, I mean, it's, there's a little bit of there's a waste of time in it like i'm imagining all these scenarios and it turns out to be one that i completely didn't think about it was something completely <laughs> different than what i thought about and so i wasn't prepared anyway and that part is the exhausting part. That's the part that, to, to me anyway, still causes me to have sometimes troubles falling asleep 
because my brain, I hit the pillow. Like watching guys like Eric Newberry on a plane just fall asleep, I just, it makes me angry <laughs> and resentful. Just like pushing a button yeah. and they're out. Like I don't fall asleep that easy. Gosh, that's my wife, man. And she's when she wakes up, she is up a hundred percent. There's no like warming up to waking up. Huh. It's just on, on or off. That's crazy. Same at, at night. It's like, all right, good night. Yeah. She gone. That's uh I envy that. No, Same. I actually I should say I do wake up pretty quickly. I don't know why. I mean I wake up early. I'm just a I don't like to be bored. Right. So, so I'm just laying here. I might as well get up. Something to do. Yeah, I got something to do. But yeah, falling asleep is not because the rowing and that's what this felt like. Like with these guys are rowing and rowing and rowing and they're not getting anywhere. They're not going to make it. Uh, it's not that they're going to die. They're just not going to get there without some kind of outside help or intervention. And I don't know. I mean, I, I know you. I think I know you well enough now to know that, you know, one of the reasons you and I get along is you're better at that than I am when it comes to scenarios. The the joke, which is kind of funny, but it's honestly funny because it's not funny, um, is that we pay you to worry. <laughs> so you don't have to. We've monetized it. Yeah, you you, you know, so you uh, you don't sleep at night so that I can. Um, and there's actually some truth in that, but it's actually kind of, you know, there's also a sadness to that, right? Like the, the scenarios and how that can just wear you down. Yeah. I mean, the rowing for me, and it's, it's, it's been like that for my whole life. It feels like this constant rowing thinking, this worst case scenario thinking, um, which you would say, I'm just being realistic. Yeah. So optimists are optimistic, right? They're just, they're mm -hmm. optimists. They're finding the best, the best case scenario. And then you've got the worst case scenario, the, the pessimist. But every, every pessimist would say that they're realists. And mm -hmm. I fall in that category. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, reality says this, this actually could happen, probably will happen, or um, we at least need to prepare for that to happen. And, um, and so, yeah, my brain's constantly thinking of all those things. And yeah. I remember think I remember at an early age, always thinking of those things like it's just it's it's a terrible blessing and a curse because it causes you to be prepared for these things which is a good thing but man to be dwelling on it all the time i, I remember at early age just thinking okay if I'm, I'm driving down this road right now like if my tire pops like what do i do how old are you oh i mean i was in my early 20s late teens early 20s 1920 thinking like okay if i if, if my tire pops if, if i blow a tire okay yeah. what what's the next step and like yeah. how am i going to get figure this out if i run out of gas if uh, there's all these scenarios like uh -huh. okay we're on a road trip and you know this happens or that happens or um, anything along those lines thinking okay this goes wrong if I'm at a restaurant, okay, I need to be sitting in a place where I'm I'm looking at the, the exits or the entrances because I want to know who's coming in and who's going. And so if something happens, I know how to get out or how to who to call or what where to go. <laughs> My brain's always thinking of those types of things. Uh -huh. um, one time, I remember you said, like, if I if I had an Indian name, it would be Chief Wet Blanket. <laughs> Did I say that? You said that. That was not very nice. Well, it was true. It's actually, you know, I've kind of learned to ex accept sorry. it. But it's like, okay. 
Like all the things that are happening, like, okay, well, Mo's going to think of the thing that's going to fall apart here, but which can be very helpful in certain situations, in, in many situations. But the constant rowing of, of, of thinking of that being on the lake and, and just rowing into the wind when the majority of those things are not going to play out. I think the, yeah. I think the hard part of that, though, is the, the other side is like over these past couple of years during, you know, the, the COVID era. When all the, the those things started to actually come true, like the playing out in what we thought we like the worst case scenario or, you know, the things that can go wrong. Well, they started to go wrong. Um, and it's like, OK, rowing in that sense and doing the work and the research and and understanding all the scenarios was was really helpful. Yeah. That, so that's the balanced really, to all that. To me, the nuance of following Jesus is so he gave you that gift. I still remember sitting in a meeting with you and you being this is March of 2020, you being completely calm. And it actually gave me a gift of okay, so if Mo I still do this with the weather. If you're not worried about the weather, <laughs> Because there'll be times I'll text you, hey, what, I'm looking at this weather. You're like, ah, it's it's nothing, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then, like you know, yesterday you're like, but there's a storm front, Christmas Eve, whatever. Like, so if you met, if you bring it up, then I do pay attention to it. Um, and if I bring it up and you brush it off, then I'm like, I don't worry about it because Mo. But in March of 2020, because you had already been there in your mind, like you were really calm about it. So okay, that, and that wasn't everybody on our elder team. Um. We we got there, but you actually led the way in that. And I think, but the nuance is this, taking action with Jesus versus rowing on our own. That's right. And that's the the delicate dance of if we are doing it out of faith, then there's just this different, not just to us, but to those around us, gift that we have, Right. And if we – it's like the danger of saying, hey, put down your – which is sort of what I went with is, you know, Jesus comes to them. He uh, – if, if, if this happened where historians think it happened, he would have been able to see them from the place he was praying, from one of those 2,000-foot bluffs. But it takes a while to walk down the mountain and then a three-mile walk, you know, onto the sea – um, it takes a while, but I took a lot of comfort in just that Jesus saw them in that and was there before they invited him into the boat, before they asked for help. He was already on the way. Like he saw their struggle, saw their problem, was already on the way. And there's a huge amount of mercy in that because um, he didn't wait for them to cry out for help. He came to them before but they were doing it with Jesus, and it's just a different energy that comes from that than out of the the false scenarios. Like it's – if we truly – and maybe this is – I don't know that there is such a thing as truly. Maybe this is our journey of faith till the day we die. Truly understood what Jesus' position, role, desire in our life. Um, it's not that we don't go into the wind. It's just that he goes with us and can carry us through 
uh, what's interesting about this is once they invited him into the boat, it says immediately, verse 21, they were on the other side. They l- teleported, whatever you want to call it, a three-mile trip in a snap of a finger because they put down the oars, Jesus got in the boat, and they were on the other side. And to, I guess, so this was the scenario I was playing with in, in my mind and spirit as I was praying to do this was, that's almost like the rowing across the sea is the cycle of thinking that I could get myself into. And, and it'll, Jesus seems, seemingly Jesus will let me do that as long as I yeah. want to until I eventually, okay, this is clearly not helping me. It's making my wife miserable because I'm being miserable, inviting Jesus into it. And then immediately, like, we're, we're moving on now. Like, I can move on because Jesus is with me, and I, I remember that. So it's like this, like a thought cycle that I would go into. Because then we can go on and take action. We can go on and do. Like you said, we, you were prepared for the COVID pandemic. What I want to say pandemic, but because you'd already gone there in your mind. Um, and you didn't let it paralyze you once we were in the middle of it. And that's... That's that's when the, the the gift is truly the gift, and it's not the rowing. It's actually Jesus with us in in the journey. Yeah, which which led to the the next part of that chapter, which is putting the you know putting down the oars and letting the Lord lead. Have you ever been whitewater rafting? Uh, yes, have you, you have. Yeah, have you? Yeah. Wait, yeah. what? Yeah. Did I know this? I don't think so. I went once. I went for the first and last time. Yeah, that's about enough. Yeah, and because when we went, it had just downpoured all week long, and so which meant there was a ton of water coming down the mountains and into the river. So by the time we got there, it was class four five, and they still put you in the water. We went in, and newbies. It was it was both exhilarating and terrifying. Um, But I remember one time. So the guide. The guide that's on the boat with you, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, they know this river like the back of their hand. Yeah. Like they could go down this river course with their eyes closed. It's amazing. Yeah. And I remember one time going through a, a particular part of the river where it it seemed like logically we're gonna we need like everybody on deck. Like we need to row through this part to get through without getting in, getting wet. And I remember him saying, no, everybody stop. Just be still. Just let the river take you. You don't need, like, rowing is actually going to be counterproductive. Interesting. Just just let the every, river. Just stop. And huh. it was such a weird feeling, right? Because you wanted to be in control with your paddle in the water and you're working as a team to try to get through this thing. And that was what we were not supposed to do. We were hmm. supposed just to be still and just let the river take you. And if you did that, it was like no problem. And so there's a symbolizing symbolization there that is similar to this symbolization, which is you actually had to let go of your illusion of control. Oh, totally. You know, because if you're rowing, you think you're controlling it, but it's just an illusion because you're actually not – you can row all you want, but you're not controlling anything. You're making it worse. So that's actually yeah. an illusion of control. Yeah. And putting down the oars is probably why none of us do it uh, early and why we – tend to go longer than we should is it's actually the scariest part is not the storm. It's the solution. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was the solution. Like we got through that little, I don't know what to call, call those things in the river. How in the world did we get through that by not having to do anything? Like it made no logical sense, but this guide knew exactly what we were supposed to do for that Hmm. section of the river. And 
what it did is it allowed us to trust him a whole heck of a lot more for the rest of that trip. Uh, yeah, you get through enough of those with him, right? You, because I think that for me, for all of us, is if you, especially if you're not familiar with the process, you're not familiar with. But if you've got somebody that's been there before, that's with you, whether it's you know horseback riding into the you know, big South, what is it called? Big South Fort Park. I can't remember. It's been, been a while since I've been there. You know, I, we get into that thing. I don't know where I am, but Larry does. The guide. The guide. Yeah. He's crazy. He lives in those mountains. Crazy Larry. And I, as long as I got Larry with me, we're good. Um, but if I'm out there by myself, um, you know, tell my wife I loved her. <laughs> you'll figure they'll you'll find, figure it out maybe <laughs> they'll find my horse someday you know with a saddle still on him and but uh with that's the thing about the and honestly that's we're going to get there spoiler alert but jesus referred to the holy spirit right as our guide our comforter our teacher you know there's this whole idea of who the holy spirit is that is um what is meant for us is that you're not alone i will not leave you will not forsake you never ever and if we can take that inside of us and, and get that to the deep enough in us where we like wake up naturally with it. I, I, I don't know. It, it seems it's it, it, sometimes it seems like, I mean, is that even possible? But I know people, so I know it's possible that at some point in your discipleship journey with Jesus, that, you know, you, the faith is there. I've got Jesus with me. So whatever, whatever water we're on today is going to be, okay, because Jesus is here. doesn't mean I'm not going to suffer. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be complicated. It just means that he's in the boat and he's going to get us through to the other side. Yeah. The, 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 the fear, the opposite of fear, I mean, really is courage. So that faith gives you the courage to actually face it. Yeah. And, and that's a little bit what's happening here. You, you mentioned Dr. Chip Dodd, and um, kind of a couple of his statements around the idea of anxiety and fear. One of the things that you wrote in here was anxiety leads us to seek something outside of ourselves to control and quell the feelings of uncertainty. So like that's, we're always trying to control these things ourselves, mm-hmm. like rowing yeah. harder, thinking more, you know, trying to figure things out on our own. Yeah, Dodd differentiates between fear and anxiety, which was really helpful yeah. for me. Yeah to understand that anxiety is the rowing, right? That's the, the, the thoughts, the, yeah, the, it's the phys- doing. there's a physiology that goes yeah. with it. But fear, you know, there is a healthy version of fear of something else. Dodd said that, um, in speaking of like a healthy fear is the gift of fear is faith. It's hard to have when you have no fear. I say it again, the gift of fear is faith. It's hard to have when you have no fear. The, the thing about faith is that it comes out of a, a scared moment where you, you suddenly had faith in the guide on the Okoe River because he was right. But you had to be afraid first to trust the guide, afraid to call out for help for the need for the for the guide. And, and that's the scary part. That's why I... It, it hit me while we were doing sermon prep throughout the week that it doesn't say they were scared of the wind. It was Jesus walking on the water that terrified them. Yeah, that would have been a little shell-shocking. Yeah. Like, what is happening? Yeah. And 
their first thought is it's a you know we use the word ghost the the, the Greek word phantas, phantasmos I'm I'm saying it wrong I'm 100 percent sure I'm saying it wrong was not a idea of like their you know Peter's dead granddad haunting them on the lake it was an actual spiritual demonic entity they thought they thought it's a demon wow on the water right so they were terrified and when I when I my experience in moments that I've would have actually broken free from anxiety the solution was the scariest part right you know to you know to Shannon to say can we talk about this tell me how must that have felt to be married to me during something like that that's a terrifying place for me yeah because I have no control and it's the greatest gift because that and again Jesus in the boat with me um, it's the best thing we've ever done. Like having those kinds of conversations. I, I wish I'd have started that when I was 24 years old, but I'm busy rowing. Uh, the anxiety of being married, trying to make sure that I, you know, uh, it's, it's actually known as codependency, I believe is what Chip calls <laughs> yeah. it. Trying to keep everything calm, you know, keep it, I'm just going to keep rowing. And, but moving into that idea uh, of I could actually speak it out loud is admit I can't do this. Face it head on. Yeah. And, Jesus allows us so – I think so, – well, I don't think. Sometimes he commands – he sent these guys out onto this water because he had something they needed to know that they were going to need to know later in their life. Of these 12, 11 of them are all going to be executed, martyred. They're not going to be living uh, – wealthy lives, their futures. So he sent them out there and it says, I think it's the last verse that we, we read in that little passage that, that they still had not understood about the loaves. Or maybe that's the Mark part. They were still uh, thinking about the last miracle. Yeah, well, they... Trying to figure out how that even worked. Well, I think it's... So that's... So it's funny. I was, I've been texting... I'm texting Dr. Easley. I'm texting Joey Prophet. John could have, they didn't understand how he walked on water. They didn't understand the physics. It could have said they had forgotten about the Jesus had already calmed a storm, but it says they'd forgotten about the loaves, which is, there's nothing an accident in the scripture, period. So why was it that that was so important that they had not understood the loaves? Every commentary that I've found connected that to, um, that he had just done this miracle of feeding 5,000 and so they, they clearly forgotten his power over creation, whatever. I, I don't disagree with that. I don't. Um, I, 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 I. It doesn't say why. So that there's there's a conjecture in that. But man, I have a feeling. I just think that it has. It's deeper than that. Specifically, the loaves. And if you look at the the miracles that he has done up to this point, water into wine. Uh, you know, the Samaritan woman, he, he knew her history. It's, it's literally telling the story of the gospel, every one of them. The loaves, he's a, he, just, uh, he just fed 5,000 people. The next few verses uh, through the end of the chapter, he's going to be talking about bread of life. They didn't understand about the loaves. What was he trying to show them? And what he was showing them explicitly was or implicitly was manna from heaven, the story of feeding in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. um, there actually is not in the 
Torah, but there are some Jewish uh, prophetic uh, prophets that that said that Messiah would be someone who would feed, would would uh, make manna from heaven. So that was one of the signs that Jewish people were on on the lookout for, and they missed it. Uh huh. And uh, so, but the the idea though that what Jesus just did here was make bread. The difference was in in the wilderness, the manna would spoil the next day. They had to get new manna every morning. And if they took it home, tried to store it, it would spoil. And here they had 12 baskets left over. Jesus, the bread of life. There's no more uh, spoiling overnight. It's, it's no, you have a limited amount. Now you have an unlimited amount. We're going to get to John 7, 8, and 9. We talked about the Holy Spirit flowing rivers of living water will flow from within you. Like he's leading them to teach them about this abundance of how the power of God works in us through the bread of life. And they didn't understand about the loaves. It just jogged a memory. There was a church that I was a part of at the back part of high school called New Manna Community Church. <laughs> Forgot Manna. about that. <laughs> that was, it had to be Pentecostal. No. No? No. New Manna Community Was it Independent church. Fundamentalist Baptist? Uh, King yeah. James only? Yeah. Yeah, it was. New Manna? Yeah. That, right, Man, that's right. a waste. That could have been a great charismatic church. <laughs> that sounds like something we would have named one of our churches. Man. Like, yeah. Huh. I had forgot about that, but you, you just yeah. said new man out. I was like, oh my gosh, that yeah. was like my high school years. But that's like when you take, so I've, I've, I've obviously we focused a lot on the practicality here, but the gospel picture in this is so deep. Like he is the bread of life. And actually part of what we're going to talk about this coming week is that that bread is a person. I am the bread of life but also that it's a broken person. That bread does you no good whatsoever unless you eat it. Unless it's broken, it doesn't do you any good. Um, you can lick it, rub, you know, rub it all over your face, whatever, sleep on it, doesn't do you any good. It's only when you take it into you that it creates the fuel to give you life. And he's talking about like, a, like life, not just existing, but life. They had not understood about the loaves. They just, and, and you know, you don't know why Jesus 100% like we'll find out someday why he he did this this way but he knows how humans are created he knows that like my son took a Spanish test yesterday see got an A on it attaboy but can he speak Spanish no (laughs) none because he didn't learn Spanish he learned how to memorize these questions so I think there's a reason why Jesus teaches us faith in our natural habitat and not just by memorizing answers on a quiz. Yeah. Because you don't learn Spanish memorizing answers. You learn Spanish living in what Guatemala or something. You know, that's immersing yourself into it. So Jesus sends them into these situations, immersing them in it because they're going to learn the language of faith. So they didn't understand about the loaves yet. There's a moment coming where they're going to understand about the loaves. There's a moment coming for you when you're going to understand about the loaves. And God is merciful. God is kind. He is patient. But the gospel moment for them was understanding that it was broken bread that was going to save their souls. They just didn't know that yet. You talked a little bit about your learning the the language of faith by kind of pushing through your anxieties uh, a few years ago, even just speaking on a Sunday and the the weight of that, the pressure of that to deliver the goods. 
and um, how you kind of had to come to the point, and it coming to the point happened on a Sunday morning, right when you're taking stage on the water, <laughs> on yeah. the water, yeah, uh, rowing to the point where you're exhausted, you just can't row anymore, and you had to put your 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 oars down again on stage in a moment where folks are expecting you to say something brilliant about the scriptures and you came up completely empty. Yeah. Talk yeah, about that. That was, uh, that was terrifying. That season, I, I think, I said that my wife was the only person that knew, but I think, I, I know I had told you. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching you close. And I remember that day, that morning, kind of having my eye on you, knowing something's a little off. Like you just seemed a little off, <laughs> and and I was in the back of the room, because um, you had you you were in the back of the room, and you'd like okay, I need to get up there, and I remember thinking okay, something's not quite right right now, yeah, and started and in my worst case scenario, mine starts going at it right, like okay, <laughs> this something's about to happen here. All right, what do I need to do? Yeah. Who do I need to, you know, what do I need to say if he. <laughs> You know, if he bails, if he passes yeah. out, like so, you just seemed so off. I didn't know if it was a medical thing or if it was a mental thing or an emotional thing. It was so uh, weird because I guess so that w- uh, would that have been six years ago? Yeah, it was about six years ago. We'd been in this building a couple of years, I mm-hmm. think. That's right. Um, and for those that didn't hear Sunday or whatever, like I had, when I was younger, had what I later learned were called panic attacks. I just didn't know what they were. Um, had white knuckled them, put them behind me and had never experienced them again, even in the high school days when I should have been in, scared. In the high school when we were having conduit at the high school. Yeah, we yeah. Were, when we were meeting yeah. um, in the cafeteria, yeah. setting up, tearing down the yeah. early years of conduit. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that because that's – that I should have been um, – then I mean, if, if, if there's ever a time I should have been afraid, right? It was then. Uh, I d- didn't, but it didn't happen until we got into this building that we were here now. And I, there were moments of once we got in this building that I was so thankful that God gave it. To, that there was a miracle. He gave us this building because even if it was just we got a we got a decent deal on it I would have second guessed cuz this I was miserable for a couple of years like on Sundays I didn't like it I didn't like the feel <laughs> yeah. but and by the way then some of that I didn't understand is that design is spiritual you know it felt like we're in a nursing home it just felt stale those plastic chairs that yeah. it's an old building a small yeah. room yeah you were feeling like the walls were coming in on you yeah and in some ways it was cuz we were packed in there but it wasn't until then and I don't remember how many I had before I told you. It wasn't every Sunday, but it was starting to get to every Sunday. Yeah. And I would just white knuckle through it um, until that's, yeah, that Sunday that we're talking about, which was I wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, and I had watched enough uh, video footage of, of this happening to people on live television. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man! Like, there's a story. Uh, there's a book called Ten Percent Happier." I cannot remember the, the guy's name. He was a journalist on ABC that had it happen on yeah. live television. And they like, were talking about it. It was horrible. 
like where he's just suddenly just kind oh, of wandering off and, you know, um, and they had to like eventually cut away from him because something clearly wasn't right. Kind of like having a stroke a little bit. Little yeah. Bit. Yeah. Like it probably, yeah, it actually kind of looked like a stroke, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Your heart rate goes up. You're, that's why so many people have driven to the hospital thinking they're having a heart attack because they think they are. Their heart actually is racing. It does hurt. There's a physical pain attached to it, but they're not having a heart attack. They're just, their body is all, it's like the check engine light is just going, you know, the, you gotta, you gotta pull over and change the transmission out of this thing. And that's what happened that day, um, was me saying, I, and I, I, it was a crossroads for me because I could have legitimately lied and said, I'm feeling really nauseous. I got to go. Nobody, nobody questions when you got to puke. Like if you're saying puking, <laughs> it's, it's a pass. And that was in my mind. And I thought, man, if I walk out this door that day and do that, uh, I don't know what my future is, but that doesn't feel. And, and honestly, I just got angry. I get angry at the situation and angry. And I'm not going to let this steal uh, from, from my family anymore. And by saying it out loud, by putting the oars down and asking for prayer, um, what I thought was the, the most terrifying thing turned out to be unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. Freedom awaits. And it's never happened again on a Sunday. It's just yeah. the, like, and I know that's not everybody's story, um, but there was something about that, uh, the, the, this obedience that, that God, Jesus needed me to do that. Um, and I say delivered, I healed, whatever the word is. You know, it's not that I don't still have the the hamster wheel or whatever, but I don't. I've not had a panic attack since six years ago. It's amazing. Pretty weird, huh? It's good. Have you, have you actually? You have had a panic attack. Right? Yeah, I did. Uh, it was in in the old building as well. That's right. <laughs> it was on a Sunday morning. Because your heart was going. I was like, yeah, something was going on. You noticed it first. You're like, something's a lot kind of off with you. Uh-huh. you. Seem a little edgy, and you're you're sweating, and um, I, yeah, I was just I was short of breath, and like the whole thing. And you're like, um, this this looks like you might be having a panic attack. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, like. I'm not panicked about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure enough, yeah, I had one of our one of our staff drive me over to the to the old uh, what's it called the old ER, and uh, yeah, sure enough, like everything comes back completely normal, perfect bill of health. They're like, Are, "You have any stress going on in your life right now?" Because this really looks like a like a panic attack. Yeah, I'm like, well, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> Absolutely, there is. Um, so yeah, I've definitely had those before. You know what else gives me panic, panic attacks is underwater scenes. Does those give you panic attacks? Underwater scenes. Underwater scenes, like in a movie, like when they're doing stuff underwater, like swimming underwater, or trying to like rescue somebody, or you know, anything that's an underwater scene in a show or a movie gives me an absolute panic attack. So like Titanic Short, shortness of oh, it was terrible. I just had a hard time. Says the guy with a pool in his backyard. Yeah, well, I mean, I just don't go all the way to the bottom. <laughs> I just let everybody else jump <laughs> off. Interesting. <laughs> in roller coasters. But that's the thing. Like, you learn to, like, face it, right? So, like, with my family, like, my kids love coasters. My wife loves coasters. Like, I'm not a big fan. Mm-hmm. But I've learned to just face it head on. And you just... The best thing to do is get the fast pass so you don't wait in line because when you're waiting in line, you're thinking about it. You're rowing. 
your rowing, all the things like I'll like my cart's going to be the one where the bolt snaps and I go flying across the park, right? Like yep. that's what I'm thinking about. Headline news, right? But if you got the fast pass, you just you just go right on it, you sit on it, and you just you don't have time to think about it. Mm-hmm. You push through, huh? <laughs> we all have our yeah. little, little fears. Well, mine, you know, mine was flying for years. I mean, it, the irony was not lost on me that. I needed to fly for most yeah, of Yeah, I mean that was like a the a massive part of your 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 career, your life, your, yeah. what was called upon you. And I can honestly say that I don't ever have those fears anymore. And it was I mean completely, you know, it's irrational, but that's the thing, like it's be not afraid. Oh, didn't think of that. <laughs> right. Um but it was you know, the scenarios that you put in your mind and it was just simply, I, I didn't, it was out of control. Like I did not have control over this situation. Some pilot had control and I did not. And, you know, there, there were moments and, you know, there are moments still when you, when I'm flying like I don't know, Africa and you're your moment of thinking, uh, mm. there's nothing below me except for 28, 38,000 feet and a, and an ocean. Mm-hmm. Like, the made-for-TV movie will be short because they'll never find any of us. Like I'll right. sometimes spin up those scenarios, but I, I don't have the the fear that I had anymore. And it was, again, some point I had to admit that. What am I going to let this steal from me, and, and from my children? My fear: Am I going to let it steal? You know, for this case, like trips to Africa or Europe, or what? What am I going to let it steal from what God's calling on my life was, and pushing through that. Uh, with Jesus in the boat, um, even if the plane went down, if Jesus is with you, you're still okay because none of us are getting out of here alive. And Jesus with us in the boat, every scenario I've ever had, I'm 51, I've lost track of how many miles. I, I have no idea. Hundreds of thousands of miles on a plane. None of my worst case scenarios have ever happened. Yet. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. If we can get our minds to think of the best case scenarios, it's a retraining of the brain and the heart. And it's a different, I will say this though, there is a different kind of rowing for people that are those eternal optimists mm. because they're trying to row because they don't want to feel anything, whatever it was. <laughs> so their optimism is not based in fact or reality That's either. true. It's yeah. based in a, you know, all these fun things that uh, nothing could possibly go wrong. So we're just going to keep thinking of all the, the, the happy thoughts. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, as we kind of wrap this up is, you know, current events is, a, is another category where we can, we can row, row, row our boat into worry and anxiety because there is so much happening in the world, in our country, in economics, in, um, in, in, in our own government, politics, in the healthcare system, um, not to mention what's happening globally right now with wars and rumors of war. And it can be very easy. I mean, the easiest to get spun up about the things that are happening in the gloom and the doom um, that's facing us as a, as a, as a human race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to protect ourselves from that while simultaneously being prepared, it's like the, the old phrase, don't be scared, be prepared. Um, and so 
we try to talk about some of these things, and we don't have a lot of time to get into details today. But, you know, on the weekly, we try to bring in some current events. And I, I think just generally speaking, broad stroke, um, man, if you watch turn on the news today, I mean, you're going to see another rate hike for interest rates um, across the board. The Fed is issuing another uh, 50 basis points. So, you know, purchasing a home, you know, you're looking at eight and a half percent probably by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, some fear around that and how that's going to affect, you know, food prices and commodities and everything else. Um, so there's, you know, finances are always a, like a top three fear, right? Like how mm-hmm. are we going to deal with things yeah. with our finances? Um, politics is, is wild right now. You got Twitter and everything that's happening at Twitter and, and um, news releases and the Twitter files and, you know, calling out Fauci now in the next few days and then him being brought before Congress. Like there's so much to get spun up about. And it's really easy for us to start digging our oars in and trying to or against the wind of current events and the things that are happening instead of reminding ourselves who our guide is in the boat. And that is Jesus. And he knows exactly how this is going to play out. With knowing that and reminding ourselves of that and taking it into us, it gives the ability for us to respond in a way that's not out of fear, but faith. It doesn't mean we don't speak up. It doesn't mean we don't clearly people are going to hate us. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. But we're not doing it out of a fear and anxiety to try to control something that is an illusion of control. It's literally an act of obedience. Um, and I, man, how cool would it be in, in these days that we live, a group of Jesus people running for school board and yeah, that's mayor right. and not out of fear, but un, unflappable faith. Yeah. Uh, rowing not into the wind, but Jesus in the boat and mm-hmm. continuing to follow him into that world that whether there's much or little, whether there's an economic crisis or not, like we still get to be with Jesus in that situation. So if these predictions are true of what is happening, already happening in Africa and will continue to happen, uh, we don't need to be afraid. We need to unflappable faith and in action moving into helping clothe and feed and serve. I mean, Matthew 24 and 25, that whole, the least of these brothers of mine that is used by ministries around the world for time immemorial was in the context of the second coming of Jesus. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues, uh, and if you're having those things happening in the world, it turns out there are going to be people in prison who need visiting. There are going to be people who are hungry who need to be fed and people who are naked who need to be clothed. The church that Jesus planted and sent into the nations, uh, that's what we do. That's what we get to do. It's not just feeding 5,000 hungry people beside a lake. It's feeding hundreds of thousands of people who are in need. Um, and with that kind of unflappable faith, uh, whatever's going on around us. The, the crowds will abandon Jesus within just a few verses. They, they leave him. Um, and we'll talk about that this Sunday because the, the disciples, Jesus looks to them and says, are you going to leave me too? And 
Peter says, where else would we go? It's you that have the words of life. Like, where else would we go? This is it. It's, it's not like you're just, the, you know, you're just the last option of a bunch of bad choices. It's this is the truth. So where else would we go? It, yeah. This is true. Yeah. There's work to be done. And I think that's one of the things we, we try to remind ourselves and, and those listening. That there's, there's work to be done. We need to occupy until he comes. Um, but being reminded that uh, we need to stay where Jesus is and not get out of the boat and stay in the boat, but let him do the guiding. We're excited for this next Sunday. It's, uh, it's going to be kind of a Christmas Sunday here at Conduit, a little bit. We've got the kids singing. December 18th. December 18th. That's right. And we'll continue our Believe series through the book of John. Um, I mean, it's just an exciting time. End of the year, Christmas parties. And we just had our staff Christmas party, which was, that was great. pretty awesome. A lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we're praying for you. If you have prayer requests, if you want to just simply um, email us, prayer at conduitchurch.com. We would love to pray for you and with you. If you have any questions about anything that we're doing here at Conduit, info at conduitchurch.com. And uh, if you want to watch or listen to any of our um, messages or teachings, podcasts, you can find us at Spotify and Apple Music, and of course, youtube.com as well. And all of that information can be found at our website, conduitchurch.com.